Let's talk about sandwiches. You ready? I want you to think about the best sandwich you ever had. Think about it. Does everybody think about a sandwich? All right, um, mine was four years ago. We were in New Orleans and we asked someone there where we should eat lunch. And uh, when we got to the address that she gave us, we thought, <laughs> Siri's talking to me. Siri's like, do you want to find a sandwich? No, I'm good. <laughs> Hold on, let's put Siri to go away. Okay, there we go. We got to the address uh, that she gave us in New Orleans to eat lunch, and we thought we must have it wrong. If you've been to New Orleans, you know there's no shortage of amazing restaurants and these world-class chefs that come to cook there. And we were standing in front of this tiny, run-down convenience store was the address she gave us. So we went in, uh, we went in and we worked our way, and it was just aisles of like pork rinds and candy. And all the way at the back, there was this really old dingy counter with a letter board above it, up on the wall with the menu. And we thought, this can't, this can't be right. Uh, this couldn't be the best place in New Orleans to eat lunch. But we were super hungry and really tired. And you know, at that point when you're hungry, you're about to like turn on each other. Um, so we're like, you know what, we'll just give it a shot. We'll just order a sandwich. And the woman who had recommended it did say, she said, you need to order the kitchen sink sandwich. And we learned they called it that because supposedly they took everything left over from the day before and put it in this one sandwich. So we ordered and we waited for a while and they brought out this like greasy, heavy sandwiches wrapped in the wax paper filled with a bunch of indistinguishable ingredients. I think it was shrimp and maybe pork, but it was definitely a mess. Like you need to put on a poncho before you get started because it was just everywhere. You couldn't sort out any specific kind of filling. It was these blobs held together and a bunch of melted cheese. Uh, but you guys, it was the best sandwich, like truly the best sandwich I've ever had in my whole life. I thought it was just going to be like chaotic and weird and this weird like combination of leftovers, but you're going to be like, she really loves sandwiches. Each flavor brought out other flavors in the ingredients and somehow together it just all made sense. So now we're all hungry. Go to hospitality after. Um, but this is exactly what we're going to be looking at in our sermon series that we're starting today. We're going to be studying something called the Markin sandwiches this summer, Markin sandwiches. And Mark is one of our four gospels that we know that tells us all the stories of the life and teachings of Jesus. But when you compare it to Luke, which is just really clear and linear, or to John, which is really poetic and has all that imagery of light and darkness, Mark can just seem kind of like a mess. At first read, Mark is this jumble of ingredients. Uh, it's like he took every story he had heard about Jesus and just kind of put them together and melted some cheese on it with no particular intention at all. But then we look closer and it turns out Mark was doing something really interesting for us in the way that he wrote down his gospel stories. We'll see that over and over again, Mark starts telling a story and then he interrupts it with another story or teaching. And then he comes back to the original story that he started. But it's not just because he got distracted halfway through and was like, oh, wait, and then this other thing happened and, and comes back. It's because he's letting one story bring out like the flavors of the other. He's letting one story help us understand the other. By bringing them together, they both end up making more sense. Uh, so scholars looked at this literary device and it follows that ABA pattern and they thought bread, meat, bread, and they call it a Markin sandwich. 
But the meat brings out all the flavors in the bread, and if we didn't have them together, we'd miss something that Mark's trying to teach. So exactly where the lines are of what in Mark is a sandwich and what is just the way he told the story is really blurry and the subject for someone else's dissertation. So we'll be casting a wide net to look at all of the things that kind of fit that category in the Gospel of Mark. And what we'll see is that Mark didn't just have a jumble of stories, but he really intentionally layered all of these ingredients together with an intention and a precision. And it really, I think, I believe it helps us have a new understanding of these passages and how we read them. So today we'll look at our first Mark and Sandwich, and this is in chapter two. And the way we're gonna read it first, we're just gonna do the bread of our Mark and Sandwich. And then we'll come back and read it again with the meat in it. And I want you as we read to do something, I want you to listen for the repeating phrase that Mark uses on the two bread sections. Uh, We're gonna call that the toothpick. Um, And watch how it keeps the whole sandwich together. All right, you ready? Let's go to Mark two. When he, that's Jesus, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door, and he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, now we're skip to 10b, he said to the paralytic, toothpick, I say to you, stand up, take your mat and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them so that they were amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. All right. So it's a pretty clear story when we read it like that, just the bread. The word had spread that Jesus could cure disease and everyone in the community had heard it. So when he comes back to Capernaum, crowds of people rush to be in the house where he is. We would have too. One group is determined to get their friend in front of Jesus, their friend's paralyzed. So they carry him through town on this mat. But then they get there and the house is just full of people and they're spilling out into the street and they know they won't be able to get anywhere close to him. But they don't give up. So it says they climbed up onto the roof and roofs were made of like earth then. And so they dig through the roof and make this hole and they lower their friend down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus does not disappoint us as the listener He cures the man who then gets up and walks and everyone is amazed. This is not the only story of Jesus curing someone of a physical disease in the Bible. There's a lot of these and the miracle stories are what we call them. And just like this one, they're amazing. They show just how good Jesus is, how much he cares about us. It's all of his divinity and his humanity like on display all at once. But the miracle stories can also be really frustrating. It can be really frustrating to us because you and I both know good people who pray and live a faithful life and did all the right things and did not get the miracle that we wanted for them. We don't seem to ever get an answer to why. Like we ask, why wouldn't God cure that person? We don't ever seem to get an answer to that question why some people get the cure and some people don't any more than we'll ever know why Jesus, he'd walk into a crowd of people and he'd pick one 
and cure them. Out of all the crowds that pressed in on him that day, we just have the one that got the miracle. There's gonna be a lot of people in your life who are gonna try and make sense of this and give you an easy answer. And the reality is that makes them feel better about trying to make sense of the world. But at best, these answers fall short of us really getting the deeper answers that we're looking for. And at worst, sometimes they subtly blame the person who needs healing to begin with, which makes me a little crazy. But Mark can shed some light on this for all of us with the way he's written his story. We're still not gonna get an absolute answer to why, I wish we did. Why do some people get a cure and others don't? But it will give us something else to hold on to. So we're gonna read the story again and let's add in the meat of the Mark and sandwich that Mark includes and let's inform how we read the miracle story. All right, so we're gonna read it again, but we're gonna start in verse three. It says, uh, some people came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Sorry, I lost my place. Okay, and then at once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, stand up, take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on heaven and on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, that's the toothpick, right? He said to the paralytic, to, uh, say, I say to you, stand up, take your mat and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them. So they were amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. All right, so in the middle of this, heal, this healing story, this cure story, the paralytic gets healed of the paralysis. And that's what everyone's expecting. Jesus does something we were not expecting at all. Jesus looks at this man who's been lowered down through a roof in front of him, desperate for a cure. And instead of saying, you're cured, first, what does he say? Son, your sins are forgiven. What do his sins have to do with anything, Jesus? We know that our people in Jesus's time that believed that physical infirmity came from sin, but we also know that's really not true for illness. So why would Jesus take this detour into sin when clearly what the man wants is to be able to walk? That's the cure he's looking for. As confused as this might make us about Jesus, Mark tells us there were some other people there and they weren't confused, they were angry. They were religious leaders, the scribes. The scribes had crammed in with the crowds, not because they were looking for a cure, but they were hoping to trip up Jesus, hoping he would say something and they'd have him. And he gave them exactly what they were looking for. He said, your sins are forgiven. And that's something only God could do. They knew that. And so they looked at Jesus and they thought that's blasphemy because they did not believe that he was in fact the son of God. But by placing this teaching in the middle of the healing passage of the cure passage, Mark reminds us that someone who could cure someone of paralysis surely must be the son of God and therefore also would have the authority to forgive sin. But it shows us something else too. 
Mark shows us that Jesus didn't just come to cure. Jesus came to heal. And there's a big difference between those two words. And that's what I'd like us to talk about now. We want cures. We want cures. We want disease to be eliminated from our bodies and the bodies of those that we love. Curing is the work of doctors and nurses and medical teams and researchers and yes, prayer and occasionally a miracle. But healing, healing is something really different. Healing is something, you know, we hear it and we think of those preachers who like bonk someone on the head and they're like, you're healed. Or people have like crystals and potions, but healing isn't any of those things. It's not a cure and it's not a miracle and it's definitely not magic. Healing is making someone whole. Healing is making someone whole. In verse 11, when Jesus told the man to stand up, that's what our English says, stand up. The Greek word is actually agari, and it means to arise or to wake up, to wake up. So he's not just being told to stand up on the legs that wouldn't hold him before. Jesus has forgiven the man and now he's spiritually awake. He can see the sin in his life and feel forgiveness that comes from that freedom that he gets in grace. He's woken up from the coma of hopelessness that had plagued him. So yes, Jesus cured the paralytic in our story, but there in the meat of our sandwich, he made him whole. Jesus forgave his sin. He saw past the brokenness that everybody saw on the outside and saw the brokenness on the inside. And he started there in the inner paralysis that comes from sin. And that's the kind that not only keeps us stuck in place physically, but in our lives, like we're trapped by addiction and by compulsion and pride. So healing wakes us up and it restores us to wholeness. Now I know we still want a cure. We still want relief from illness and disease and the things in our bodies that don't work the way we want them to, and you should. You should keep looking for cures for medical problems, yes. You should visit doctors and consult the best medical team you can get to and take care of your body the best that you can. And absolutely, you should pray. Pray every day for the, what you want God to do in your life. And if that's a cure, pray for the cure for the illness for yourself or the person you love. I'm not saying not to do that. But what do we do when there isn't a cure? That's the question, at least not yet. What about things like grief or death? What about a long-term illness with a bad prognosis? What about a mental health issue that didn't respond to the medication or the quick fix? We want a cure so much that when things can't be cured, I think it's easy for us to give up. We think there's only cure or sickness, miracle or disappointment. We start to think maybe we just aren't praying hard enough. Maybe we're not trying hard enough. And that's why we're not getting the answer we're looking for. But here's where I find hope in the gospel of Mark. The distinction between curing and healing in Mark does not tell us why Jesus cures sometimes and not others. But it does promise this. Healing can happen right now, today. Cures involve a lot of waiting. Wait for the doctor to call, wait for the new treatment, wait for the miracle, but healing, healing can happen anywhere and anytime. Healing happens in hospitals, it happens on deathbeds. Healing happens before the medical breakthrough and even times when there isn't one. 
because you could be healed without being physically cured. Now, on a side note, you can be cured without being healed. (laughs) You can be free from disease, but still paralyzed in your life by sin and brokenness and pain. And that's a powerful thing that we learn and mark here too, that there is more on God's heart for us than just our physical health. But healing can happen with or without a cure. And I believe when it happens, it puts together the broken pieces in our lives. Whether we're broken from sin and Jesus heals us by his his forgiveness and his grace, or if you received a diagnosis and through no fault of your own, your life has broken into these shards and you're looking to be put back together. Jesus heals then too. Jesus can heal us from hopelessness and despair and isolation by giving us his spirit and sending us his people. Because healing is the work of the church. Rachel Hud Evans says this, there's a difference between curing and healing and I believe the church is called to the slow and difficult work of healing. Healing takes time, it's relational, It is inefficient, like a meandering river. Rarely does healing follow a straight or well-lit path, and rarely does it conform to our expectations or resolve in a timely manner. Healing's the work of the church. Most of us here, there's a few of you guys that are medical and you are trained to cure, but most of us here are not trained to provide a cure. We turn that over to the medical teams that have medicines and surgery and that miraculous way medicine can bring a cure sometimes. But we can heal. We can be the ones who carry the mat. The paralytic man didn't get in front of Jesus on his own or by his own will. He had four friends who put him on a mat and carried him through the crowds and the heat. They were exhausted, but they refused to give up as their muscles strained under his weight. When they got closer and saw that it was too crowded, they lifted him up and dug through the earth with their bare hands. You can carry the mat. You can sit with someone when things seem bleak and everybody else runs from it because it feels too hard. You can refuse to give in to that temptation to pull away when it takes a long time for someone to get better. You can pray with them and eat with them and let them be angry and love them right where they are if they're sad. And you can take the broken pieces of their lives and help them as the hands of Jesus start putting them back together. You can hold on tight to the edge of the mat and refuse to let go. Now, that's some of you are holding on to the mat. Some of you are on the mat right now and you have work to do too. First, let your friends carry the mat. I know you don't want to, but what if God's doing something in the people who are carrying your mat that they can, God can only do if you let them into your life to help you? I know we're all super independent. We don't need anybody. Let them carry the mat. That's what God has sent them to do. That's your ministry to them is letting them be a part of your life in a real way. And then open yourself up for healing. Look for the ways Jesus is bringing peace or courage and think about what would wholeness look like right now and pursue it with everything that you've got. All right, one more thing, then we'll stop. I don't think it's an accident that there isn't one friend who carried the mat to Jesus. There were four. Whether you're on the mat right now or you're one of the ones that's grabbing an edge to help carry it, healing's not something we do alone. It's something we do together. That's what the church is made to do. 
We have to stop there for today, but next week we'll look at our next Mark and Sandwich, but let's pray together. God, we thank you that you heal and send us out as your people. And we pray now for each person here who's struggling, God, for those looking for a cure that you would work in mighty ways through the medical teams to provide. And God, for all of us who need your healing, and God, that's all of us. Lower us down right in front of you through the work of the church that we'd experience the healing you offer to each of us. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.